The reading for today is from Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Thanks, Cole. I gave you a short one. <clears throat> it just cuts off mid-sentence even. It's good. So this week we're picking up uh, a series that we began two weeks ago that we're calling Well, Not Crazy. Uh, so uh, two weeks ago was Pentecost Sunday, and so we observed Pentecost Sunday together. And then last week, uh, our own Daniel Quimby did a really great job of speaking uh, here, and it was a, a blessing to have him do that and to hear his heart for Chi Alpha and for our church. It was a really wonderful Sunday, and so I just wanted to say thanks for doing that, Dan, and for playing drums today. <laughs> Jocelyn's very excited about having a drummer today. That was good. So uh, this series we're in, Well Not Crazy, is all about what it means to be a fully formed Christian, a fully formed follower of Jesus, not just somebody who has uh, intellectual knowledge about the Bible, not just somebody who claims to be close to God in some kind of emotional or spiritual sense, but has allowed the gospel, the good news about Jesus, to sink down from their minds into their hearts and permeate all of their being the entirety of their emotional health uh, and uh, both their emotional maturity and their spiritual maturity, right? To be a follower of Jesus, to be a healthy follower of Jesus is not just to be, quote-unquote, close to the Lord, but it's also to follow Jesus in His way, to pursue Him and to become the type of healthy and whole person that God created all of us to be. And so today we're going to take another chunk out of this series about what, what the Bible speaks to us about. What are the kind of ingredients that are required in the life of every Christian in order to step into this type of wholeness, in order to step into full and complete mental, emotional, and spiritual health? What, what is necessary in order to do that? What do we actually need? What do we require? And today we're going to talk, be talking about uh, the role that community plays in the life of the follower of Jesus, the role that the church plays in each and every one of our lives in helping us to become the type of people that God has created us to be. Now, this is a very, um, this message is very close to my heart, actually. It's something I care about very deeply. You've probably heard me talk about it. We did a whole series on it, I think, back right uh, before Christmas that we called Ecclesia, about all about the church and the role that it plays in our lives and in the world. Uh, and so this is a theme that you'll hear me coming back to often. And it's so important to me, actually, I put it on the website. You might not know this. You didn't do a deep dive into the vision and values that we put on the website, did you? Uh, but I actually have it on the website. And in, in the, I'm just going to read what we have. I think we have it on the screen. On the website, I, said, I say this. Uh, our values uh, describe the qualities that we want to embody as we go about our vision and our mission, right? And so the third value that I have on there is relationships formed in community. And what we say under there is we value authentic Christian community as the necessary context in which spiritual formation can occur. It is the necessary context within which spiritual formation occurs. It is necessary 
that you and I be in spiritual community, that we be in relationship with one another in order for us to mature or, or, or for us to be formed spiritually. It is not, in fact, optional. If we want to become like Jesus, we have to be in community with other Christ followers. Christian community or being a part of a church where you live your life in relationship is necessary. It, it is not something we can simply walk past and assume that I can neglect that and grow into the person that Christ has ultimately created me to be. Because if we do neglect that, we, we have walked away from the very context that Christ uh, intended for you and I to be in in order to be formed into his image, in order to become like him. The church is the only kind of incubator for Christ followers. It is the only place where people become the type of people that Christ would have them to be. There is no other place. You can't do it at the mall. You can't. You can't do it at an Iowa game. Yeah, I know. Please, please stop. Don't, don't awe me. Jeez. It's so close to my heart. You, you cannot be formed into the person that Christ would have you to be in front of your television by yourself. You simply can't do it. The context within which we become the people that God created us to be is the church. It is in community. It is in relationship. And when I say it's in the church, I do not mean that it's in the church physically on a Sunday morning. I mean it's being a part of something bigger than ourselves. Now, this is very clear in the scriptures. Just look at our teaching text for today in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, this is what the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who this person is, but uh, this is what the writer of Hebrews says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Now, what he means there is not, uh, not going to church on Sundays anymore. What he means there is, if you read in uh, Acts chapter 2, where it says the, the followers of Jesus devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they gathered together daily, that they were in one another's homes, that they were breaking bread, that they were in some real and true sense, kind of their lives were interwoven together. Don't give up the type of uh, relational connectivity that you have, is what the writer of Hebrews is arguing for there. Do not walk away from your brothers and sisters relationally. Don't ignore them, right? Be in community with them. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, right? Encouraging one another, building one another up, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The writer of Hebrews is incredibly clear here, isn't he or she? It could be very well be a she. We have an obligation to one another. If you call yourself a Christian, you have an obligation to your brothers and sisters within this particular body to spur one another on, to build one another up, to be in relationship with one another, to not neglect relationship. You know, very often in our culture, the thing that makes you a Christian is that you attend church. Those are quotes, just for the record. Attend church. 
like it's some type of personal thing that I do personally for my soul so that I get what I need, right? And then I leave that place having fulfilled whatever responsibility I have to God. It's almost like going to church is kind of like going to the mall, right? Or going to the gym is probably a more apt example, that I go to the gym and I work out and I get what I need and then I leave, right? That church is kind of in some sense a similar thing, that I, I go to church, I get my fix, I'm, you know, we're good. Mean, mean Jesus. I was going to do a Sammy Sosa thing there, but it wasn't going to work. We're good, we're good right? And now, and, now I, and now I pass by, or, or, or I walk away, right? I've, I've gotten what I need. I've gotten my spiritual fix. God and I are good. But this is not biblical faith. This is a kind of free market, capitalist kind of interpretation of what church actually is. Church is not a place where you go. It's a place that you belong. And if, and if we treat church as though it's a slightly a la carte uh, smorgasbord of spiritual um, maxims and truths, and that I go there to kind of uh, make sure that my soul is okay with God, and then I walk away, and I neglect the other people that go there, I, I have actually not used church the way Christ intended the church to be used in order to transform me. In order to make me the person God would have me to be. Now, this is, this is a different view than we want, right, in culture. Our culture tends to want church to be this kind of individualistic spiritual activity, right? I said a couple weeks ago that it's uh, very often you'll hear people go, I don't need to go to church. I can meet with God in the woods, right? I, I connect with God when I go to Colorado, Hopefully because of the mountains and not the marijuana. <laughs> We're way off topic. We're way off topic now. I apologize. <clears throat> We're way off topic. But it's true, right? We, we very often think that that's what we do, right? That we, we can somehow cut this personal connection with God. The, the scholar Stanley Hauerwas, he's a philosopher and theologian, says this. He says, we live... Uh, in a social order that has confused freedom, right, my personal freedom, for the isolation of the self. And so what we believe then is that I am free to kind of go and do all the things that I need to do to make me the person that I need to be, and what other, everybody else is kind of free to do their own thing too. And what that actually does is isolate us. Does that make sense? Because as I just go to church and get my spiritual fix, and the person next to me kind of gets their spiritual fix, and we can all walk out the door, what that does is isolate me. Because I'm not actually in anyone's life, and no one is actually in my life in any true or significant way. So you see, culture has lied to us about this in America, in our modern 21st century context. We've been lied to in some real and true sense, that this is how we get better, by just doing what we think we need to do in order to better us, rather than being a part of a body of people, as the Bible outlines, who are following Jesus, who are pursuing the way of God, the way of Jesus, together, in community, in relationship. You see, going to church uh, simply to get what you need is a lot like uh, buying a treadmill, right, and then bringing it into your house, and rather than running on it, just sitting on it and watching television, <laughs> or using it to dry clothes. I've seen a lot of people do that, right, in their basement, they use their treadmill to dry clothes. That's, that's not how the thing was intended to be used, right? The way, the way that church was intended to be used 
the way that Christ or God intended church to be used is for us to engage in and with it, to be in community with other people, to walk on the treadmill of faith together to become the type of people that Christ would have us to be. This is what the church is. It is not as much as you are all sitting in, in chairs staring in one direction this morning, right? It is not just this. It is something far more significant. It's something far deeper. But how does community do this? How does spiritual community, deep spiritual relationship, how does it actually transform and change us? What's the mechanism in community? What, what are the types of things that we do together that actually transform us, that actually make us well, right? That actually make us not just close to God, because you in your closet can be close to God, right, in some sense, that you can kind of close the door and be with your Bible, and you can be close to God. But, how, but that is not necessarily going to make you the person that Christ created you to be is it? Because Christ created us to be a people that is, are in community, that together reflect the goodness and grace of God out into the world. So what's the, what is the, the mechanism within community that helps us change, that helps us become the people that God would have us to be? Well, that mechanism actually happens to be other people, that in community, other people kind of rubbing elbows with other people in real life, sharing uh, life together in some real and true sense helps to form us. It helps to create in us uh, the, the necessary conditions for our formation or transformation. So for the rest of today, what I'm going to do is just, uh, I have one point in this message today because it's Father's Day. That's not true. But I have one point, and we're going to talk about that little point, and then we're going to move through a couple of the practices that the church has historically done, some practices that are outlined in the Scriptures about things that Christians need to do together in order to be formed into the image of Jesus, in order to become the people that Christ has created us to be. Uh, we have to do these practices, and we can't do these practices unless we're in community together, and we're going to walk through those in a moment. But I would argue that the uh, that the primary component that transforms us, that makes us the people that Christ wants us to be, is the difficulty that we encounter in community itself. I think that's up on the screen. The difficulty we encounter in community, the struggle that happens when we have to live with other people, right, is the mechanism that creates the change in us. There's a famous philo uh, French philosopher, his name is Jean-Paul Sartre, and Sartre, one of his famous quotes is that hell is other people. Um, that, he said this. Um, he meant it in a really weird way that I don't want to go into right now, but the quote is good. And it, uh, <laughs> we think this I th sometimes, many of us think this, that hell in some real and true sense is other people. That uh, getting too close to people, right, or inviting them into my life or having me be invited into their lives is actually its own, are a very certain type of torture, right? But this happens to be the very mechanism that God has built into us to make us who we we're created to be. In Proverbs, it says that iron sharpens iron, and we like to quote that a lot in the context of discipleship, that as life kind of uh, bumps up against life, we become... Uh, sharper. We become more the people that God has created us to be. But one thing we often neglect when we quote that passage is that, I believe it's Proverbs 27, but what often happens when we quote that passage 
is that we forget how violent iron sharpening iron is, right? Have you ever seen somebody sharpen a sword or a knife? We don't see people sharpening swords very often in Iowa. Uh, have you ever seen anybody sharpen a knife? It's a violent process, right? There's, there's a lot of, if you're doing it on one of those, <laughs> the only image in my head is, have any of you seen Hook? where they're walking through the pirates thing in the movie Hook, and there's a guy sharpening the swords, and there's sparks flying off. I don't know. Anyways, uh, it's a very violent process, right? It's not, it is not a, a gentle thing. And very often in community, when we get into real uh, relationship with one another, what we realize is that it is not a particularly gentle thing. And it is actually the roughness of the process. It is actually uh, the rough edges that you and I have as human beings that actually help us in community to uh, rub up against one another and to become the people that Christ has created us to be. If you've read the New Testament in any way, shape, or form, what you will quickly realize is that none of the churches that are written to in any of the letters in the New Testament are perfect. They are all, in their own very specific way, deeply, deeply flawed, right? And all of the writers of the New Testament, whether it be John or Peter or Paul, uh, are admonishing these churches, right, to grow up, to become the church that Christ would want them to be. But you know what they never do? They never encourage these people to simply abandon the church. They never abandon the togetherness of the church, right? They never say, oh man, this whole, this whole other people thing, this whole church with other human beings, it's not going to work out. So what you all need to do is just go find like a hole in a mountain and go connect with God there and never talk to anybody, right? This is not what the writers of the New Testament do. They seem to hold on to this vision of what it means to be the community of Christ, what it means to be the body of Christ, what it means to be the church. They seem to hold on to it desperately because they believe in some real and true sense, some real and true sense that the body of Christ, this gathered group of people, is the only way that the message of Jesus, that the good news, that the gospel goes out into the world in any significant way. That the way that these people live together as the church is the only way that the good news of the gospel is communicated out into the world. And so they do not jettison it. They hold on to it tightly. But what they also seem to say to people to these churches is that the very struggle, the very difficulty that they're encountering, right, is the way that they are formed into the people that Christ would have them to be. Who's ever ran into a difficult person in their life, right? You can all raise your hand. That's everybody. I try to ask as general questions as possible when I'm speaking so that everybody can participate. When you run into a difficult person, what options do you have laid before you? You can choose to engage with that difficult person in a way that makes you a better person, or you can choose to engage with that person in a way that makes you less better, right? We have that choice, don't we? We have that ability. No pointing fingers up here anymore. We have that ability, and it's within the context of the church that we are all invited into this process of being formed into the image of Jesus as we encounter difficulty, as, as we encounter the real 
stuff of life with other people, as we don't hide or shelter ourselves from community, that we don't, we don't bracket off our authentic selves from other people, but we step into community as authentically as we can, right? Because we can't always do it perfectly, but we step into community as authentically as we can with our real, true lives, and we submit and love other people, right? That we uh, receive and extend grace, that we be the instruments of God's love to our brothers and sisters within the church. And historically, the church has kind of codified what it means to be this community of faith within a number of Christian or spiritual practices. Now, uh, these are all scriptural. These are all biblical. These are all things that uh, primarily uh, the New Testament writers told the church they have to do. But I, I want to just point out as we walk through these last three here this morning that these things are impossible to do by yourself. If we just treat church as something that we come to on Sundays and don't engage in with our lives, we can't do these practices, and if we can't do these practices, we won't become what Christ would have us to be, all right? So, uh, for the remainder of today, I'm just going to walk through three practices of the historic Christian church, all right? This first practice that we are called to engage with together as a body of Christians, right, is confession, in James, in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Right? We cannot confess our sins one to another, this thing that James uh, commands us to do, if church is just a thing that we treat kind of a la carte, can we? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is a German theologian, says it this way, why is it that it is so often easier for us to confess our sins to God than it is to a brother? God is holy and sinless. He is a just judge of evil and the enemy of all disobedience. But a brother is sinful as we are. He knows from his own experience the dark night of the secret sin. Why should we not find it easier to go to a brother than to the, whole, than to the holy God? But if we do, we, may must, we, may, we must ask ourselves whether we have not often been deceiving ourselves with our confession of sin to God, whether we have not rather been confessing our sins to ourselves and also granting ourselves absolution, right? Who can give us the certainty that in the confession and the forgiveness of our sins, we are not dealing with ourselves, but with the living God? God gives us this certainty through our brother, our brother breaks the circle of self-deception. A man who confesses his sin in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. You see, we are called to this practice of confession because God knows that we, if we simply close the door and lock the bolt and confess our sins directly to God, will lie because we want to see ourselves as good, don't we? But if we confess our sins one to another, right, there's another person there to say that's accurate or maybe that's not as accurate as you thought it was, right? There is, there's a type of uh, materiality, there's, type, there's a type of heaviness or significance to confessing your sins to an actual brother or sister in the faith, isn't there? There's a type of 
um, there's a type of presence that that person has. They're, they are, as a priest of God, right, as a priest, somebody who represents God to the world, which everyone in the church is, we stand before our brother or sister as a represent, representative of God and are able to be with them in their sin as sinners ourselves, right? There's this transformative act, right? And as you confess your sins, one uh, to other people, and as those other people confess their sins to you, what happens? We are all, in a miraculous and significant way, transformed, because we have to be, because we're honest and open with each other, right? Because we're vulnerable with each other, because in that sharing, in that confessing of my own shortcoming and of, of my own sin, I learn to be the recipient of the grace of God extended to me by my brother or sister, and in return, I learn how to extend the grace of God to my brother or sister, right? As one who uh, tangibly shows the grace of God to another. This is how the church should, can, and should function. And this is a transformative act. The act of confession changes us. It is far harder to sin after you have looked another person in the eye and confessed that sin to them, isn't it? It is a far more difficult thing. And in some real and true sense, that person has been brought into your sin with you to bear it with you, right? Something the Bible speaks about and that we're going to talk about in a moment. In community, through this practice of confession, I see who I truly am. And if I am in, truly in the life of other people, if I am in community with other people, and I give them permission to tell me the truth about myself, right? It helps me to confront my issues, my brokenness, right? It helps me to deal with myself in a way that when I'm just by myself, I can't do. And confession is this practice that helps us to do this. Now, this does not mean that I want everyone to turn to each other and confess a sin right now, right? We need some type of mechanism or some type of relationship in place before we do this, right? Because has, have anybody, has anybody ever been in a setting where uh, you had an oversharer in your midst, <laughs> right? This is also not healthy, right? This is also not a healthy thing. But, but, it does not mean that we are not called to do it. And it does not mean that we are not called to invite other brothers and sisters into this process of journeying with us, right? So at our church, uh, we have what we call men's and women's discipleship, and these are smaller groups of three or four uh, followers of Jesus who are journeying together for roughly six months. It's 20 weeks, but it's usually spread out a little longer than the 20 weeks. And these are little cohorts, little groups of people who, who uh, live life together, who have invited, who have opened their lives to the other in the group, right? Have allowed those other people to tell them the truth about themselves, and have been open to confessing who they actually are, to br uh, bringing their authentic self into that small and trusting circle, right? This is, a, this is a, a process, a discipleship mechanism that we've created here at our church to enable this, this thing called confession to happen, right? On a weekly basis. Something, and it is something that we need, isn't it? It is something that we need. And if we simply treat church as a kind of a flyby type of thing, we will never... Uh, deeply engage in the spiritual practice of confession, and we will never become the people that God has created us to be. So that's confession. The next practice is prayer. Prayer. 
Now, you might think prayer is a solitary practice, and you might be right, uh, but prayer, almost uh, more so in the scriptures, is a practice that is done together as a group in community. Bonhoeffer again says this, a church fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face, that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me, is transformed in intercession into the, into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer seems to believe that the, the balm, right, the cure for uh, the issues that we have in church, and I think anybody who's gone to church for any period of time knows that there are issues, there is strife, there is pain, there is brokenness, there is hurt. There are people in this room who you might not want to have dinner with, right? Might, might be the case. I don't think that's the case in here, but in other churches. Um, and in truth, here's, here's the truth, and until you have a community of faith where there are people who are different than you, right, who you might not have necessarily invited into the space with you, you don't have a church. Because a church is a community of reconciliation and hope. And a church is a place where there are people sitting next to you or across from you or behind you who you might not have invited to be there with you, but have come together to be the representation to the world of who Christ is. This is what a church is. This is what it truly is. And prayer is this communal practice that we enter into together as we pray together, as we break bread together, in simple ways, right? As we pray together over meals, as we pray together when someone is sick, as we pray together when, if so, when someone has endured a difficult situation, when we pray for that brother or sister who is giving us a hard time, as we engage in those practices, this is the kind of solution, the way in which we make it through, isn't it? This is the way that we learn to love one another well through prayer. If you have a difficult person in your life, the scriptures say, Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you, right? Pray for that person who causes you pain or struggle. As you pray for them, as you, as you look to God to be their source and their sustainer, as you pray for their good and not for their evil, as you pray for these people, what happens is that God will, in some real and true sense, bind us together. And so prayer becomes this, um, it's, it's really something we can't do away with. It's something we must hold on to as a community of faith. As we pray for one another in community, we will become the people that God would have us to be. So that's the second practice. The third practice is the historically has been referred to as burden bearing or the bearing of burdens. In Galat uh, Galatians, Galatians, that's if it's, that's what you call that book if it's rainy outside. <laughs> Galatians chapter six, verses two through four. Uh, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Just Let's just stop right there. What Paul says, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's a very significant statement, right? 
You cannot bear someone's burdens if you don't know them, right? For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. In Christian community, we learn to bear one another's burdens, right? We learn to be selfless. We learn to bear, to sit with other people, to learn how, some, and this is kind of spiritual, right? How, how, do we, how do we lighten the burden or how do we bear with the burden of someone else's burden, right? How do we step in under that with them? It's a hard, it's a hard question and there's numerous ways to do it. But the reality is, is that in order to, if, if I'm reading this correctly, to fulfill the law of Christ, we have to be about this business of learning to live with people and bear with people in their struggle and in their difficulty, right? But notice what he says here that bearing burdens does. He, he does not say that bearing burdens transforms the person for whose burden you're bearing. Notice that? He seems to believe that bearing burdens transforms you, right? That as you step into that situation with that person, as you bear that burden with them, as you don't just simply walk away and say, ah, that's their thing. They got to worry about that. That's not mine. I can't carry that, right? That is the thing that actually transforms you and me. Do you know what I think one of the most uh, pernicious problems in our society is? I think it's judgment. I think it's we are very, very quick to judge other people, aren't we? So-and-so made this mistake, and -and so-and-so did this, and -and so-and-so didn't do this the way I would like it done, right? We do this all the time. We judge people. We make judgments about people. You know that it's really hard to judge people when you're in the midst of a difficulty with them, right? What What we tend to develop in that situation is what we call empathy, right? If you are about, often about this practice of bearing burdens with other people, if you learn to step into tough situations, difficult circumstances with other people, what often happens is your judgment quota goes way, way down because you know what it is to suffer, right? You know what it is. You, in some real and true sense, put yourself in the shoes of that other person, right? And you become a more understanding a less judgmental, a less hypocritical person. Bearing burdens in in the vernacular of Paul here seems to be a kind of cure for, for our own hubris, for our own inability to look clearly at ourselves, right? In our own ability so often to deceive ourselves as we bear other people's burdens, what we are actually able to do is to see ourselves more clearly and to see the people that God has created us to be in some real and true sense. This is what it means to be in community, to confess our sins one to another, to pray for one another, to bear each other's burdens, both in emotional ways and in physical, spiritual ways, right? that we take on the, the pain of our brother and sister in some real and true sense, and we walk through that with them. This is what it means to be a biblical community, and this is a transformative thing. If you do this, you cannot 
over time stay the same. If you enter into this type of deep and substantive community, you cannot remain the same. You, if, if you live life with other people in this way, you will be changed for the better. You will become more able to deal with difficult situations. You'll become more mentally and emotionally stable because you're learning how to be that for other people, right? As we journey together in faith as a community, as a church, what we actually end up doing is becoming more and more and more the type of church that Christ ultimately wants us to be. You know, when the Apostle Paul is talking to the church about what it means to be the church, he says, um, you're these kind of stones and that Christ is in the process, in the active sense, building you into what he calls an edifice, but a, a type of temple that reflects out into the world the goodness and the grace of God. He doesn't say you are that, well, they are in a sense, but he says you are being built. You are being constructed, right, into this temple, that reflects the goodness and the grace of God out into the world. You are being that. You are not that. None of us are a finished, pro <laughs> a finished product, right? We are all in some real and true sense of work in progress. And we come to this place, to this church, to be this people together in order to remind ourselves of that fact and to receive the grace of God as it is given to us both spiritually, directly from God, and in the hands and the feet in the face of our brothers and sisters. This is what it means to be the church, and this is what it means to become well within the context of the church. The church is the only context, real biblical relationship is the only context within which we become the people that God has created us to be. And so this is somewhat of a challenge today, isn't it? That if you're here and you haven't stepped into relationship in maybe the way that you feel that you, you, you should, maybe now's the time, right? We have a women's book study coming up. That's a great opportunity. We have a men's, uh, a men's camping trip. That's a great opportunity. You can probably see me with my shirt off. Uh, <laughs> bad, bad. That should not have come out. <laughs> you will not see me with my shirt off. I always wear a hair shirt under this. Anyways, that was, a, that was a great way to end a sermon poignantly. Anyways, no, but seriously, we, we have, uh, we'll have, uh, we have small groups meeting, right? And we will, and we'll have small groups meeting in the fall. We have opportunities for men and women's discipleship at this church. We have numerous opportunities for you to get in life on life with other people. We really do. And if you want to become the person that God has created you to be ultimately, and if we want to become the type of church that God is forming us into, then we must, we must be in relationship and community. This is a deep, uh, this is a very important thing to me because community is the thing that formed me in my life. It was, it was uh, <laughs> Greg and Adam and Brandon in, in junior high or in high school. It was my friends Matt and Matt and uh, a couple other Matts. And then <laughs> friends in seminary and friends in, in people in community in Des Moines. It was, it was the way that I invested in community when I did that well, that my heart grew the most, that I grew to become more the person that Christ would have me to be. If I've made any journey 
If I made any progress in this journey of being a Christ follower, it is due in large part to the people that God has brought around me in the church. It has very little to do with my ability to just, like, be a good person. It has far more to do with the type of uh, community that I've been able to be involved with over time. It's true. It's really, really true. So that's what I long for us to be. Not a, not a place to go, but a place to belong. Let's pray. Father, we invite you into this place today, God. And we ask that as uh, we, make, we journey together as a church, as Grace Community Church, that you would continue to form us into the people that you have created us to be. That we would not just be uh, a collection of spectators, God, but that we would be a collection of people uh, who have uh, committed to journey and, be, and do life together. God, uh, would you transform us into your image? Lord, we long to be your people. We long to love you, and we long, long, long to extend this grace to those outside these doors. Would you help us to do that in the name of Jesus? Amen and amen. Go today in the grace and in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Eat some barbecue with your dad. Amen.